What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain This podcast is really special for me to offer you guys because it represents a speech that I gave the night before I had my car accident. And I remember that night and the next morning feeling like I had just delivered one of the best speeches I have ever given in my life. And it wasn't because I'd rehearsed a bunch of lines and practiced it a million times. It was because I was able to really get out of my own way, speak from the heart, and talk about topics that really were important to me. And these topics were about being fit for service, being fit to accumulate and wield power in a proper way that was going to be helpful for yourself, your family, and the world at large. Because this is something that is probably the most important thing. Everybody's heard me say, para el bien de todos, for the good of all. You know, I've committed myself to being of the highest service I can, but I know that to be of the highest service I can, I have to be fit. I have to be fit in mind, in body, in spirit, in my emotional body. All of that has to be fit. Otherwise, I'm going to be taken off course. You know, I'm going to find myself stray or tired or unable to deliver what I'm here and intend to deliver. So this is a great speech for helping you figure that out. But I always wanted to take that a step further. And that started with me doing these Aubrey Marcus Mastermind Weekends, which is a combination of bringing in all of my favorite coaches and all of the different concepts from ecstatic dance to yoga to meditation to instruction about business and mission and life and relationship and putting it all together in a coaching weekend. And the next one of those that we have is coming up November 9th and 10th. And we have Christine Hassler, who is an absolute wizard, incredible to work with as far as dealing with trauma and different personal relationship issues, and offers an incredible balance to myself, probably the favorite person I've ever taught with at any of these seminars. She's going to be out there in Santa Monica, November 9th and 10th. We have Kyle Kingsbury, Odin, father of worlds, our very own superhero. We'll have Aaron Alexander our movement and mindset specialist, which I'm really excited to introduce to you guys in person. And then Duncan Trussell's gonna come by and give a little talk and maybe even Dr. Chris Ryan. And that starts Friday, November 9th, where we're gonna have our business workshop and dinner, which is an add-on to the Aubrey Marcus weekend. Then Saturday, we have our full day with all our coaches, ending in the relationship workshop and dinner, which is another additional add-on for those of you who are interested. And then Sunday, we wrap it all up together, do the ecstatic dance, and really celebrate the transformations and information that has been transferred throughout the weekend. So if you're interested, go to aubreymarcus.com weekend and check it out.
But I wanted to do something that's a little bit deeper and had a little more accountability and brought people genuinely to a state of being fit for service. So I wanted to build a mastermind. And these masterminds exist, and a lot of times they're focused around business and connections, and they range from twenty-five dollars to $40,000, depending on who's offering it per year. And they're really just singularly focused on some very personal goals, like how can I, just for myself, get the most money possible? Well, that's cool, and I appreciate that those exist, but for me, the reason to accumulate money and the reason to accumulate power is so that you can use it effectively, so that you can use it to help yourself, you can use it to help your family, you can use it to help your community, you can use it to help the world. So I want you to accumulate money and power, but I want you to be fit to wield that money and power. So I created the Fit for Service Mastermind, which is going to be my premier teaching platform. And what it really is, it's an opportunity for people to apply. And if you make it through the application and you are someone who is really fit for service and wants to be fit for service and capable of being of service, we're going to go through a full year protocol. And that's going to start January 1st, 2019. But the applications are available and open now at aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. And every quarter, we're going to have a summit similar to the Aubrey Marcus weekend, but focused. And quarter one is going to focus on the very foundations. That's going to focus on the body. Because if the body doesn't have enough energy, if you're tired, if you're sick, if you're not optimal, it's going to be very hard to be fit for service. I mean, I always say, don't ever pet a sick tiger because that tiger will eat your fucking face because it's not well. It doesn't have the abundance to relax and be cool. <laughs> so the foundations in the body is going to be the quarter one. We're going to have some different tests that you guys can take. We're going to have all of our functional medicine specialists, Kyle, Dr. Dan Engel, Dr. Conover, a whole host of functional practitioners really look at everybody in the Fit for Service Mastermind and help bring them to an optimal state. And then we're going to meet here at Onnit. And we're going to go through a variety of different training and optimization techniques at the end of those three months. But in the meantime, there'll be weekly accountability calls, and then there'll be monthly Zoom calls with myself personally to kind of check in with everybody in the mastermind. I mean, this is an opportunity for me to really work with people for a sustained long period. Uh, minimum commitment is a year. So then after that first quarter, all right, we got to take it to the next level. All right, if the body is in shape and we've worked out some of those issues, what's next? You got to work on the mindset and make sure that you can create that abundance mindset. Because if you're in scarcity, you're just going to hoard all of your resources. You're not going to share anything. You're going to feel like you constantly need to accumulate more. You're going to feel like you'll never have enough. And that's not being fit for service. That's not the type of person that can actually make a positive impact. So we'll be working on that, the abundance mindset. How do you have a mission that makes sense? How do you accumulate these resources? And you'll hear some of that in the speech that I'm about to give, but we're gonna take this way deeper with practices and accountability and hopefully be hosting our summit. And again, all these summits are included in the mastermind cost. We'll be hosting the summit in Tulum, Mexico, um, hopefully in May, uh, May or June of 2019. Then from there, all right, how do you take it further? 
You know, you got to go on the hero's journey. You got to look at the path to emotional mastery and the path to accumulation of knowledge and follow what Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung have said about integrating the shadow, looking deep into the crevices and and dark places of our mind and spirit because, you know, as you'll see in this speech, I talk a lot about how you have to look at your shit. Because if you don't look at your shit and start to deal with it, as soon as you accumulate more power and more opportunity to make an impact, all of that stuff will come up. Power creates pressure. So as we help you get in a state where you're accumulating more power, more money, more resources, more connections, more access to me and the top echelon of people who can help you, we got to also help you look at your own shit and start to deal with that. So we'll be working on that and then hopefully hosting a summit at the end of quarter three in Los Angeles, California. And then wrapping this full year together, this idea around becoming bodhisattva. And that is a true commitment to being of service. Bodhisattva is someone who has the opportunity to reach enlightenment on their own, but because of their deep compassion for humans, their brothers, their sisters, their family, and even themselves, they commit themselves to be of service and to be in the fray and to go back to the front lines, not some mountain temple on some snow-capped peak, but be on the front lines. And that's going to be about spiritual mastery. And so we're going to continue working on that and hopefully host a summit at the end of the year, either in Sedona at my ranch out there or somewhere similar out in Sedona, Arizona, or potentially Peru, or potentially you know some other places. We have some time to take a look at that. So this whole mastermind, you know, as I mentioned, oftentimes are twenty-five, thirty, forty thousand dollars. I wanted to keep it simple: ten thousand dollars. Buy into the mastermind. If you know yourself or anybody who's interested, go to aubreymarcus.com/fitforservice. It is an application process. Not everyone will be accepted. But if you're someone who you know, has that in your heart to be committed to help others, definitely check that out. And if you just want to drop in for a weekend, again, November 9th and 10th in Santa Monica, come see me. We'll dance. We'll explore all these different topics in one weekend and have some fun that way. That's another great way to do it. I appreciate you guys so much. I know that you know, we're going to be building something that's pretty incredible. This is like the Fellowship of the Rings, you know, the Avengers, the 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 care bears i don't know what the fuck you want to call them but we're accumulating this kind of gathering of heroes and I, and I can't wait to work with you guys and truly be of service to all of you and see what kind of impact we can make you know while we're here you know i think in some way we all chose to be on this planet at this time at this juncture why well because this is the right time because this is a really pivotal time an interesting time and an opportunity to make a big impact. So I'm looking forward to doing that with whoever wants to answer the call here. And if you know someone, please encourage them to check it out as well. Again, aubreymarcus.com slash fitforservice. And you can see that Aubrey Marcus weekend, we'll be pushing that out all over all our social media and all over our blog as well. Love you guys. I appreciate you. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast and I look forward to hearing from you soon. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, So I was up there in the lobby and I saw a quote from Lord Acton. And Lord Acton says, 
power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. How many people here agree with that? Yes. If you believe that, you will never allow yourself to have power. Because <laughs> think about it. Like, if you don't trust yourself to have power, what is the worst nightmare that you have? Like, I've explored this. I do a lot of plant medicines. They show me my worst nightmares all the time. <laughs> I thought it was death, right? So I drink some ayahuasca. I go to the jungle. I think it's death. And so I'm sliding down a vine of thorns naked. There's bugs exploding in my eyes. There's snakes that are coiling in my insides and biting at my heart. And I'm like, kind of cool with that. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, got it. That's terrible. I'm dying. And then it's like, oh, you have cancer. Ooh, that's worse because it's suffering and then death. And I was like, ah, oh, okay, that's bad. Well, eventually you surrender and accept. Like, you know, Hal was saying earlier, you learn to accept these things and get to a state of acceptance, which is a beautiful place to be. But there's fears that lie beyond that. What are the fears that lie beyond that? Not just dying, but what if you hurt other people? Can you imagine that? Like, if you realize that you were a force that negatively impacted and hurt other people, that's fucking worse than dying. I mean, if you, were gonna, if you knew you were gonna lose your mind and kill a bunch of people, hurt a bunch of people, you'd kill yourself probably. It's like, fuck, I'll rather go out than do that. I mean, if you're thinking clearly, right? So the fear of actually hurting somebody is actually even greater than the fear of death. So if you think that if you get power, you will be corrupted, you will deny yourself that power, 100%. And it's just like, I work in a lot of spiritual communities and a lot of people have this idea around money. Like money is evil. Guess what, they're broke as fuck. Because <laughs> <laughs> why would they want to bring evil into their life? But they're not thinking about it clearly because money and power, they're neutral. They just magnify what's already inside yourself. Power doesn't corrupt. Power just allows the inner corruption that's inside you to be magnified and to spill out onto the world and for, allows everybody to see it. So power doesn't do anything. Power can also magnify the good. Did power corrupt Martin Luther King? No, it didn't. It just allowed him to spread his message of love to an even wider audience. Like, that's power, that's influence. You know, that's the ability to reach people in an effective way. Like, all of us should want power. But before we want power, we have to know that we're fit to wield that power, right? Like, we don't just get to grab Excalibur, which is our soul's potential, and just wield it around. Whoa, this is awesome. You know, collateral damage everywhere. Our higher self wants to make sure we're motherfucking King Arthur first. If we know we're King Arthur, we'll put that sword and plant it and say, this is fucking Camelot. And I stand for something. And that's why I have Excalibur. That's when I reach for the sword. That's why it comes out of the rock. Because I'm the one who can hold the sword. That's how you get power. That's how you get influence. It's the same myth that we see in all these true stories. Like, why is it that Thor's hammer only calls to him? And when Thor loses his mind and no longer becomes Thor, the hammer won't come to him. Right? It's like, we will deny ourselves power unless we know that we're fit to wield that power. So the key for all of us is to make sure that we're fit to wield the power. And that's been a huge focus of my life. And as I've become more fit, everything around me in the world has provided me more influence. As I've done the internal work and become more fit for the influence that I have, 
my podcast has grown, my business has grown. Everything grows much more easily because I call that to me because I know that I'm ready for it. And I know that when I get it, I'll do something good with it. You know, if I wasn't the type of person that could run this company with 180 employees and, you know, all the things that it's doing, I, I wasn't the person that could run a podcast that reaches a million people every month. Like, I wasn't that guy until I was that guy, until I did the work to become that guy. So being fit for service, right? And, and that's, I think, really the biggest message that I want to leave you here with you guys. And that comes in a lot of different ways. One of the ways, how was like brilliantly elucidating, right? Like if you're an emotional tyrant and you can't control your emotions and if someone makes you mad, it's just you're out for blood. Well, you're not fit to hold power. That's how you become a tyrant. If you're easily manipulated by your own emotions. So you have to find those places of emotional stability. And what he was talking about with acceptance is huge. It's huge. But there's other tools that we need as well to become, you know, I got an opportunity to read. Um, Robert Greene's unreleased new book called The Laws of Human Nature. How many people have read a book from Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power? Brilliant. And what he talks about there is he talks about becoming an integrated human. And an integrated human is someone who's gone into their own shadow, as Carl Jung talks about, going into your shadow, those repressed desires for aggression, the repressed innate parts that all of us have. You know, the savage aspect of being a human, like going into the shadow, looking at that stuff and saying, oh, yeah, that's me. I see that thing. I'm not blind to my desire to be with all the women in the world and have all the money and feel all the pleasure and, and be aggressive and be dominant and judge myself in accordance and, you know, destroy those who are my enemy. I see all that. That's part of what made me survive as a primate in a savage world like that's us. So you got to go in there and look at that and say, yeah, that's me. And once you actually can take your eye on it and process it and accept that that's you and accept that you can choose something different, that you're also contain, containing love. You can also see other people as self. You can also connect to the greater world at large. You're also called to service. You know, when that moment comes in the heroic movie like Braveheart, you're like, fuck, yeah, I fight for freedom. You know, I'd, I'd show up if Wallace was leading the charge. Like, I'd do that. Like, we got that part, too. We got all the things, but we have to recognize our shadow, integrate that, become an integrated human so it doesn't sneak up on us. So it doesn't lie dormant in our subconscious, actually in control position, driving us to do things that are corrupted because we're not willing to look at it. So you got to go in there, go into the shadow, acknowledge your shit, go deep, find out who you are. And then when you're ready, you will start to manifest those outward things. And then it's really fun. It's really fun when you do that. But you got to do the hard work first. So how do you do the hard work? OK, well, first of all, you know, there's some information, you know, understanding things about this, like understanding that we all have a shadow, like looking at some of Carl Jung's work, looking at the hero's journey, looking at all of these myths and metaphors. First is information, and then there's practice. Finding some way to get still with yourself and really reflective, because this perpetual motion, this perpetual action is just distraction that's keeping us from really looking at the undercurrents behind everything. So how do you get still? How do you stop your mind from churning and churning and churning and preventing yourself from looking at that shadow that we have that prevents us from feeling like we're fit for service? Well, a lot of ways. And I've tried them all because I needed them all. 
You know, it's not like I came out having this shit all figured out. Quite the opposite. My mind is a fucking monster. So how do you tame the monster? Well, you go to work. And for me, that's meditation. That's one way. But honestly, I was shit at meditation until I found it in other ways. So I found it first probably in flow state. I found it playing basketball. You know, when I was playing basketball, I was, my mind was still, at least for a minute. But at the same time, when you're shooting hoops, it doesn't really allow a lot of chance for introspection. So it's like, okay, I can still the mind when I'm doing stuff. So most of my youth, I was stilling my mind by playing sports and working out. And like, that was cool. Having sex, that was another cool way to get out of my head for a minute. Uh, at least when I was doing it right, which I didn't do for a lot of times and just in my head and judging myself and all the whole thing that happens as a young man. But and then, you know, but in the stiller places where you can create stillness like meditation. So the first one of the great ways that I recommend is sensory deprivation tanks. Has anyone ever tried that? A couple people. So for anybody who hasn't really felt what it feels like to get to that deeply meditative state, like use some help. And the help would be either guided meditation or going in a sensory deprivation tank. Because sensory deprivation tank, what it is, you're floating in salt water that's the same temperature as your skin. There's no sound, there's no light, there's no smell, and you don't feel anything. You feel like you're in outer space because the water's the same temperature as your skin and you're floating, right? And so every aspect of your body that's always looking for predators or someone to fuck, just starts to like <laughs> calm down, right? Because we're constantly scanning. And all that's like, all right, well, there's nothing to see here. <laughs> so that part goes to sleep and our higher faculties start to wake up and we get to get still. Some of us will have a visionary state where we'll start to see things and we'll start to reconcile things. And it's absolutely nothing but good for you. Very worst case, you'll fall asleep and you'll feel really rested. Best case, you'll start to be able to look at some of the shit that's inside you. That's one way. Yoga. You know, really good stretching. We have, I own a bunch of yoga studios, Black Swan Yoga here in town. It's great. But the real benefit of yoga is that five minutes of Shavasana at the end, when you've stretched and worked your body and moved and breathed and anchored to your breathing, and then you just sit there. And then you see what comes up. See what comes up in the stillness. See what comes up when you stop. Another practice that I think has been probably the most transformative for me and something that I offer when I do my mastermind weekends is ecstatic dance. And this is something that tribal cultures have been doing for thousands of years. Dance has been a part of a ceremonial ritual. Why? Because it's fun? Yeah, maybe. But also because when you do it in that context, and I'll explain the context, it can be incredibly transformative. It can create a state of superfluidity is what the psychologist would call it, which is a heightened flow state in which your body collapses the sound and your body create a direct connection, which removes thinking from the equation. And so you're just literally moving to the sound, creating this trance-like state. Now, the benefit of that is floating, meditating, everything, your body's asleep. And a lot of the things that, that we process, we don't just process mentally, we process physically, right? Like, Dogs are really good at this. If a dog has something traumatic happen to it, like it runs into a screen door or falls something, what does a dog do immediately? Yelp. Yelps first, then it shakes. Shakes it out. Why does it shake it out? Well, because our fascia actually stores memory of trauma. Our fascia does. This is not like woo-woo shit. This is like science. Our fascia stores memory because that's how it's going to react quicker. You know, it's like that, that person who's like flinchy because they've been hit. 
It's the fascia that's telling them. The mind doesn't have time to think about that. So our fascia stores all of this trauma in our own body. So how do we get rid of that? Well, we can do some body work. That's helpful, like get somebody in there to help release, especially someone who's really tuned in to more than just a physical body. That can be helpful. Those practitioners are hard to find. Most of the time, it's just a massage. But if you're dancing, working intentionally through the motion and moving your body, it's like a dog shaking it out. And then your mind also has the opportunity to process these things. And in a guided dance, you'll go through intentionally to different emotions, feeling trapped, feeling like your heroic self, feeling like all the things, you know, ecstatic, sat, all the emotions that you can play with. So you actually get to process them through your body and start to work on some of that trauma that's, that's come up. Uh, holotropic breathing is another one or shamanic breathing. So how many people know about Wim Hof? <coughs> Beautiful. That is incredible for, and what he talks about is really incredible for the physical body. And those who've read my book, chapter two, it's all about Wim Hof breathing. Combined with the cold, it's an incredible practice to facilitate state change, facilitate the reduction of anxiety and stress. Really good. And what that is, is a bunch of deep breaths in combination. So breath is actually a tool that we have available to us at all times. And we're going to actually figure out the power of this here real quick. How many people do intentional breathing of any sort here? It's good. It's a high quotient, which is awesome. Because a lot of people, we just breathe and we don't realize it. So Japanese studies showed that six deep breaths, and I talk about this in my book as well, six deep breaths is enough to facilitate state change. Wim Hof is about the 30 to 50 range. And then the shamanic practices that I'm talking about is the 100 to 200 range. It's taking it to its fullest conclusion, actually beyond what would be beneficial for cold therapy because it opens up your capillaries so much, you would actually let more cold in and you actually get colder. So you actually get cold when you're doing that type of breath. But we're gonna start with six, just so the people who aren't used to using their breath can get used to it. So we're gonna take six deep breaths along with me, as deep as you can go. change like feel the energy shift dramatically I can probably some of you even though as we're counting to six like some of you probably forgot like how many breaths is that <laughs> like our mind already just shuts down to such a degree as we actually use pranayama as it's called in the yogic traditions intentional breathing as a tool as a rudder for life so finding the ways to use that, to use breath to guide you. And of course, if you're a really thick skulled monkey like me, maybe you do need plant medicines that can help you. And I'm happy to talk more about that. You know, I talk about it a lot of my podcasts and that's been one of the tools for me because I do have such a monstrous mind that wants to, that needs help 
and finding perspective and finding balance and finding peace and integrating those shadow parts of myself and releasing the trauma that all of us carry. And they've been incredibly helpful for that. But all of these tools, there's so many ways up the mountain, but ultimately finding that way to get still and to start doing that internal work is gonna open up all the possibilities for you to be able to wield power and then wield it in an effective and positive way. So there's two other places I wanna go with this. The other one is, you know, you have to have a solid foundation and a solid home. And you know, all of you guys got my book and I put, poured absolutely everything I know about creating a solid foundation for the human body into that book. So I'm not gonna belabor all of the different points for that, but as we all know, like you don't wanna go up and pet a sick tiger. You don't wanna pet a tiger who's wounded because that tiger will fucking eat your face, <laughs> right? You want a satiated, happy, healthy tiger. Like, and that's the same with humans. When we're dehydrated and stressed and malnourished and our, we have inflammation in our body, we're gonna be, it's gonna be way harder to be able to integrate and wield power in the right way because our body's all aggravated. We're not in the right state physically. And if you're not in the right state physically, you just have an uphill battle mentally. Now, some of us are gonna be masters and can transcend any physical issue that we have going on. You know, A lot of us, if the body is a foundation, it's like one of my favorite authors and friends, Daniele Bellelli says, when you know there's a wild wolf living under your skin, when the mind is in doubt, the body can provide tangible proof. It becomes this like anchor. Like, okay, this thing is as solid as I can get it. Now let's work on this thing and this thing and this thing. You know, let's work on the rest. So paying attention to the body, I think, is always incredibly important to really being, becoming fit for service. And then let's talk about service, right? Let's talk about, okay, wielding power. Why power? Why power? Well, is it, uh, you know, why, is it just fuck bitches get money? Like, is that, is that it? Is it like a rap song? <laughs> I mean, that's a part of it. And sure, enjoy it. You're not supposed to preclude yourself from the enjoyment. But guess what? All of those pleasures, all of that, we run into something called hedonic tolerance, right? It's why the wealthiest people are not happy because they're chasing the wrong ends. Because you can't keep just seeking pleasure for pleasure's sake and have it remain pleasurable. It doesn't work. It's a failed enterprise. Like, as soon as you get a nice car and then you buy that next nice car, it lasts even less amount of time. And then you buy the next nice car and it lasts even less amount of time. You buy the next thing and you're like, fuck, I guess cars are kind of done for me, I guess. And same with women and same with any other thing that you have will run up against that hedonic tolerance where it won't really work. And that is a good thing because that is what drives us to service. Because you know what doesn't get old? helping people, seeing other people as self and reaching in and watching them go through their own transformation and watching them live their best life, like that shit doesn't get old. You know, like making a positive impact, that doesn't get old at all. And the happiest people you'll see are people who've dedicated themselves to that. So in a way, it's being selfish. Because <laughs> the happiest you'll be is when you're of service but you'll only really be of service when you're fit for service. And that's really the main message that I wanna leave you guys with is find how you can be fit for service and then really commit to service. And how do you, and, and that's the thing, like when I don't see people 
as myself and I don't really care as much about the people that I'm helping. Like I'm not connecting. Like I'm not looking at you and being like, oh man, like you're me living a different life. Like, fuck, I hope you come out of this thing and you fucking kill it. If you do, like, that's awesome. But if I just look at it, I go faces in the room, I got a speech or podcast, you know, 200,000 people, whatever, and it becomes blank. And we do that because we get criticism. And so it's easy to shut off that channel. It's shut off that valve and say, nobody else's opinion is valid. I'm disconnected from everybody because people hurt me. It's true. It's true. But if you actually shift your perspective and you see that the people who are hurting you are really just hurting themselves, you know, so you don't have to open yourself up to their criticism, open yourself up to that pain. You can actually take a perspective. So when they reach out in anger, you're not even at that vibration. It's like they're trying to punch a ghost and you're just, oh, sorry, I'm not there. My ego wasn't there to receive that punch. I see where it's coming from. It's coming from anger. And I wish you the best, my friend. You know, like, if you can do that, then you can stay connected because you're not vulnerable to fresh insults from people. And when you stay connected to people, then you really care. Like, every good movie, if, they're, if they have an epic movie, they got to make you love, they got to make you love someone first. And it's usually a woman or a child because as men, you know, we tend to, like, give, it's easier for us. You know, it's easier for us to, to feel connected and want to, you know, protect those who seem innocent like that, right? So Braveheart, like you mentioned that before, right? Like if we didn't love Murrin a little bit, when, when she got her throat slit, like we wouldn't really care about William Wallace's charge for freedom of Scotland. Freedom of Scotland is fucking abstract, but they fucked with his wife and his wife was dope. <laughs> <laughs> so then it's like, all right, let's go. Let's put on our fucking skirts and let's get after it. <laughs> But they had to make us, they had to make us love. And like I've seen other movies where they didn't take enough time. Like, I think it was like, maybe like Clash of the Titans 2 or something like that. I don't even know. But they, they had like this family and the family was on a boat and the family's like on the boat for like 20 seconds and then like a god comes in and smashes the boat. I'm like, whoa, that was fast. I didn't have time to love the family enough to really care about the next two hours of vengeance. You know, like, I, don't, I didn't care. Like, oh, your vengeance against the gods. Okay, yeah, I get it. Like, you showed me they killed their family, but I didn't feel it. I didn't really feel it, so I'm not fired up. I'm not emotionally invested in the movie. I'm not into a state of enthusiasm. Like, Eckhart Tolle talks about three states of existence. Acceptance being the bare minimum, and that's what Hal was talking about. At bare minimum, you have acceptance. And then above acceptance is enjoyment. Okay, enjoyment. That's even better than acceptance. That's accepting and actually enjoying what you're doing. And then the third one is being invigorated with passion, enthusiasm. It's almost being divinely inspired. It actually comes from etym etymologically from that root of Theo, God, being divinely inspired. Enthusiasm, right? And to be enthusiastic about being of service, you have to connect to people. And to connect with people, you have to open up to people. You have to heal your trauma. You have to see people in that kind of way. And then you'll truly be a force to be reckoned with. So um, I'd love to open up to questions and uh, be of service to you guys in any way that I can. Who's the woman on your arm? It's my grandmother. My grandmother. Yeah, she was a very special part of my life. And actually, you know, I still connect with her quite frequently in, in visions. And I feel like she's always still there with me. Yeah. How do you... How do you plan your day? I mean, obviously you work out, 
Mm -hmm. I mean, I read the book, right? You have everything in there, but like, you work out, you got your business, you want another. So I'm curious, like, from a personal standpoint, how do you, how do you do it? Um, how do you decide what to do in the given day? What's your daily, look, you know, daily work? I kind of have a sense, like a compass for balance. And I think the, the day that I laid out in the book is kind of an ideal day. And if I can get as close to that on the normal day as possible. But there's going to be other opportunities where I'm out of balance in one direction. You know, and then I need a longer extended period where I'm focused on one particular thing. Maybe it's just rest. You know, maybe I need to just totally relax rest, recover, because I've been in a hard charge. Or maybe I need to spend some time emotionally processing something. Or maybe I need to spend some time, you know, going down to Peru and doing one of my ceremonial journeys. Maybe I need to carve out some different stretches to try and find balance and also growth. And for me, balance isn't staying right there in the center because you don't really learn as much right there. It's pushing the boundaries on either side and then taking the lessons back from that, but always finding that way to get back to back to balance. And so I just try to keep that compass. Yeah, so you're talking about being uh, emotionally fit. Like, um, you know, when we're entrepreneurs, we deal with a lot of stress, stress from family, stress from work, stress from just the world. Like, how do you, like, what are you, some of the things you do to kind of like cope with that or maybe a tool that you use to kind of you know, be better at dealing with the stress? Yeah, there's different elements of stress, right? There's physical stress, like actually the body produces actual cortisol and inflammation. And again, that connection between your emotions and your body. So one of the first things that you can try to hit is to shift your state physically. So those six deep breaths in that Japanese study shown to reduce blood pressure, shown to change your state. It will actually literally reduce stress. Same with getting in the cold. Like you'll reduce physical stress load. And that'll make it easier to cope with the mental stress load. Then some of the emotional practices start to come in. Radical acceptance, you know, that's another one. Knowing what you're capable of changing and what you're not capable of changing. What you're able to do at this moment. Relying on the fact that all you can do is do your best. And also trusting that you're going to be okay. Like most of the stress, we're not actually worried about anything that really matters. We're worried about the projection of our ego, our identity. These, these are threats to our identity. These aren't threats to our body, nor threats to our family, hardly ever, where stress would be warranted. This is stress to your reputation. This is stress to your accomplishments. And all you can do is your best. I mean, all, none of that stuff is really real. That's just what you think you need to be worthy of love from the world, but you don't really need it because you're innately already worthy of love just from being a human and being alive and doing your best. And that's all, that's all there is. So part of it is dealing with the physical component and part of it is just getting your head straight around it and recognizing all we're ever responsible for is our best. And we're always worthy of love, no matter whether we succeed or fail. Failure being mostly a myth anyways, it's just a different way to learn. You know, we're just here to learn, you know? So getting your perspective right and then dealing with the physical remnants. Can you go into a little more depth? You didn't really talk about it at all, but mind-altering substances. Mm -hmm. A personal trainer of mine, you know, that's fucking funny, right? But a personal trainer friend of mine, uh, he's talked about microdosing LSD. Mm -hmm. And see, you are talking about ayahuasca. Can you talk a little bit about that, what that's about? Does it work? What will you get from it? <laughs> We already dosed all your water. Yeah. About five minutes. So the psychedelics are a tool, right? You got to look at them as a tool, and you are the wielder of that tool. So do the psychedelics work? 
it's the wrong question. Do you work with psychedelics? Can you do incredible work with psychedelics? That's the right question. Can you use the tool incorrectly? Can the tool be applied at an incorrect time? Absolutely. You know, so it's really a relationship that you have with something that's going to allow you special powers to a certain degree. Like psilocybin was the first encounter I had. I went on a vision quest when I was finished with high school off in the mountains. I was a slightly angry, incredibly stressed atheist at that point. And I did a vision quest out in the mountains, felt my body evaporate entirely, and then went, oh shit, I got some stuff wrong. Like I gotta reevaluate this thing. Like there's something more that's going on here. And to me, that was the start of a journey where I had a shift in perspective, but I was ready for it. I mean, I'd grown up with Native American spirituality, the understanding of you know, these rites of passage, the willingness to surrender to a greater intelligence, that was available. So I went in with the right set, the right setting at the right time, and it yielded a massively beneficial result. And I've duplicated that with multiple plants at different times. Now, have I seen people do it incorrectly? For sure. You know, and seen people use the tool incorrectly? For sure. But done correctly. So actually, if you talk about mechanism of action, what psilocybin is doing is it's actually altering the way that the blood flow patterns go through your brain. So it puts blood flow in the areas of your higher faculties and reduces blood flow in the areas of your more reptilian faculties so that you're actually able to utilize a different part of your brain and a different focus and be more introspective on the things that really matter and potentially communicate internally or externally. I don't really know and I don't, it doesn't really matter because the result is the same with the higher intelligence whether that's the intelligence coming from yourself or an external higher intelligence, either way, it can open up that gateway and that can be incredibly valuable and incredibly healing to be able to do that. So, you know, I could talk about all the different psychedelics all day and if, I encourage you, if you're interested, you know, definitely check out some of my podcasts and check out some of that because I really dive deep. But, um, and there's great research going on. Johns Hopkins is doing amazing research. The Hefter Institute is all the way through phase two trials with... Uh, with psilocybin showing reduction in anxiety and depression. The MAPS organization is all the way through phase two trials, like full on FDA clinical phase two trials, hundreds of patients showing two out of three people with treatment resistant PTSD are being cured with MDMA assisted psychotherapy. Like this isn't something that's just anecdotal anymore. This has the hard science to back it. Um, if you wanna see an aggregation of the science aspect of it, Michael Pollan does a great job in his book, How to Change Your Mind. He's like a five time New York Times bestseller called How to Change Your Mind. I have aggregated some of it on a page called The Cure is Near. Um, and you can just look at some of the information. That's uh, one of my charity pages. So yeah, it's, it's, a big, it's a big topic, but really, you know, that's kind of a short synopsis. Question, as a CEO, can you talk about your mindset and focus as your company grew from five to 15 to 50 to 150 plus? <laughs> I think, you know, I think the first thing is to really see what is possible and like really believe and see like people, people ask me this question all the time. Like, did you ever imagine? Did you ever think? And I think it's kind of like a trick question. Like, I don't know if anybody has ever accomplished something that they didn't imagine themselves doing. Like I, I was friends with a professional poker player and he was saying, he was talking to his mentor who'd won the World Series of Poker. And he says, he says Matt, you know when you're gonna win the World Series of Poker? when you're not surprised if you win the World Series of Poker. Like you, you really know, you've seen it all happen before and you know that it's gonna happen. Now you don't know exactly how, 
you don't know that you're going to have, you know, bullets at the final table and someone's going to have ace king and you're going to go all in and they're going to, you don't know the details of that shit, but you've seen it happen. You know that you have the skills to make it happen. So I think that's what came first. And then just figuring out what I needed to figure out to get there. But the thing that I can track the most is the growth has been correlated with my inner growth. You know, Hermes Trismegistus has a quote, as within, so without, as above, so below. Like, as I've become more ready to hold the power of being CEO of a bigger and bigger company, my company's gotten bigger and bigger. So if anything, I would recommend more focus internally than you probably think you need to do. Because we are our biggest ally and our biggest enemy. You know, we will obscure our success or we will facilitate our success to the greatest degree of anybody else out there. So do the inner work and watch the world around you change. Uh, Aubrey, I'm 52 years old. I'm starting to have some peers around me uh, talk about testosterone shots. And, and obviously the external benefits are seen. I'm just curious what you know about maybe the negatives to it internally. And that sort of well, anytime you put in something exogenously, so testosterone exogenously is actually applying the hormone to the body and the body has no part in producing it, your body will downregulate its own production. So if you inject yourself with testosterone, your body will stop producing testosterone. And that's just the way it goes. However, if you continue to supply the testosterone, then you will have an alternate source. So basically, your testicles can go on vacation in Cancun, woo-woo, and you just supply all your own testosterone through a vial, right? So, but you're stuck. Like, there's no going back because it would be at least a year transition, very intricately done if you got on testosterone and you decided like, eh, not for me. It would take you at least a year of emotional swings up and down of super low testosterone, which could lead to depression, like lack of libido. So it's a fucking commitment. And if you do it, just know that you're committed. And it can have immense benefits because most of us live in an estrogenic world. We've had estrogenic diets. We're, look at the water we have on our table. Like these are in plastic bottles that exacerbate estrogenic conditions in the body. It's all around us. It's almost unavoidable. You know what else creates estrogenic conditions? Stress. Stress. Because stress increases sex hormone binding globulin, which is something like a sponge that just soaks up all our free testosterone and prevents us from accessing it. So if you're stressed, if you've been estrogenic, if you haven't lived in a pro-testosterone kind of environment, it can be incredibly helpful. And I've seen dramatically you know, positive benefits from people getting on it. But just know that once you're on it, you're on it. You know. Is there an alternative that's not as addicting, so to speak? So there's a lot of ways, and I talk about them in my book. You know, there's a lot of ways to boost testosterone. You can lift heavy, you can sprint fast, you can, there's certain foods and certain supplements and certain ways. Uh, getting even, get, even getting sunlight has been shown to increase testosterone by up to 200%. So there's tons of ways that you can do it, having regular sex. All of these things increase testosterone. Uh, and certainly I, I would encourage anybody who's interested to try those means first. Um, but, you know, failing that, then I think if you're willing to commit, it can be a, a pretty valuable, um, pretty valuable boost to your life. Good answer. Thank you. Yep. So how will help me out with this question? Mm -hmm. so, he's to blame. 
Um, but uh, he had shared with me that, and I've seen in your videos, you've got a super hot fiance, former Miss USA, is that right? And that Miss United States, but yeah. Me, and that this is off limits, it's all good. Nothing off limits. He said that you have an open relationship with her, which I think is super fascinating. Uh -huh. so can you talk about what it's like to have a super hot fiance who's ex Miss USA and uh, have an open relationship? That just means she fucks other dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, damn. Um, what, what time is it? How much time do I got to talk about this? 8.19. All right. You got 11 minutes. I, so as I've, done, as I've done this exploration, I've started to understand the nature of love. And this is what kind of came first and precipitated this, was an understanding that love is not something that you possess, nor is it something that's finite. It's not like you have a pie of love. And then when you give some, you have less of that to give. It's actually a virtuous cycle. The more you give, the more you receive. And so we, I think we have a concept surrounding love that's a little bit off. Like when a mother has a second child, nobody goes up, oh, it must be so tough to love your first child half as much. Has anybody ever said that? <laughs> They'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I got love for both of them. I got all the love. Like I'm, you know, so there's a fundamental understanding around love that I started to get to that was like, didn't make sense. Like, oh, so somebody owns my love and if I give it to somebody else, I don't have it for her. It's like that started to not make sense. But at the same time, I was jealous as fuck. And I couldn't imagine somebody you know, sleeping with somebody who I was with because that was ruining my own validation. Like, I'm fucking king of the universe. Why would she ever want to sleep with somebody else? Like, that must mean that I'm broken. That must mean that I'm deficient. I'm not laying it down right in bed because otherwise she wouldn't be interested in that kind of shit. So I was kind of stuck because I had this metaphysical understanding, but I didn't understand the physical biology that would, you know, cause someone to want to be sexually active, even though in my own mind, you know, always at about 18 months, two years, I started like freaking out, like, oh my God, I got to do something. I'm really want to experience somebody else. So I knew that was in me, but I just assumed that all oh, men and women are different. Then I read Chris Ryan's book, Sex at Dawn. And I realized like, oh shit, maybe we're actually all the same. Maybe human beings are more like bonobos and we all actually crave variety. And it doesn't mean that I'm deficient if she wants something else. Just like it doesn't mean that if my friend has my favorite restaurant and I go eat somewhere else, he's like, what the fuck, bro? Why are you eating somewhere else? <laughs> you know, like CK Chin is my homie. He has two of my favorite restaurants. One's a Chinese place and one's Swift's Attic. One's, and like, I love his places. I go there all the time. But when I go somewhere else, he's like, oh, how's that place? I heard it's dope, you know, because he's my friend. And he gets that I'm going to want different things at different times. And that doesn't like offend him if I don't eat at his restaurant every time I'm out. And if he did, I'd be like, what is wrong with you, man? You know, and I think understanding that that applies generally to the human species universally, mixing that with my understandings around love, I decided to embark on the journey. And it all philosophically made sense and whatever. <laughs> and I was actually the first. So, you know, I, I was with, um, she wasn't my fiance at the time. We'd been together monogamously for two years. And again, I had that two year thing. And I just don't, I'm just too, I have too much anxiety and, and guilt to cheat. So I, that wasn't an option, which is the option that most people do is, is they cheat. And I understand because it's a kind of a fucked up, broken system. So I have no judgment for people who are trying to find their own solution. It just didn't work for me. So that was off the table. So option was, either break up completely or try something else. Well, I proposed open relationship. She's like, hell no. So we broke up. <laughs> uh, 
And, uh, and so we broke up for a little while and I found another girl and found another lover and she was kind of doing her thing. And I was like, look, I still want to make this work. Anytime, if you're ready, I'm fucking totally down to try. And so she eventually, after a couple months, was like, look, I still love you. And I was like, I still love you. And we decided to give it a go. And I was the first to have a lover. And I watched her deal with it. And I was actually getting kind of frustrated. I was like, come on, we agreed to this. Why are you getting jealous and stuff? And then, like six months later, uh, I got a taste of my own medicine. And I had the first experience where she was sleeping with somebody else. And it happened so fuck. I know I don't have a lot of time. It's such a funny story. I was going on a, a three-week isolation retreat. And this guy was in town visiting her, but they hadn't had sex yet. They were just kind of flirting, hanging around. And he was supposed to leave the same day I was leaving. So I was like, whew, dodged a bullet. <laughs> and then I hear, as I'm boarding my flight, they call out his name in the airport and like, final call, so-and-so, final call. And I was like, that motherfucker stayed. He stayed to fuck my girlfriend. So I'm just sitting and I'm not, I'm just completely disconnected from her for like weeks. I need <laughs> Yeah, I need I need Hal like in like over my shoulder. Anyway, so like I don't talk to her for two weeks, and then finally like nerves are building up. Finally, I break this break the silence. I was supposed to keep it for three weeks, so I was like, "Fucking can't handle it." Broca's like, "Hey, you know, I heard it's crazy. I heard this thing. Did he stay?" And she's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Okay." Did you have sex? And she's like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and I was like, "I need a minute." And I hung up the phone, and it was the, the craziest, worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. Like I felt like I didn't know if I was going to pass out, or if I was going to vomit, or if I needed to cry, or if I needed to go for a run, or if I needed to like. And that lasted for like days, like days. And in my mind, just kept going to all of these scenarios that were like the craziest scenarios until finally. And every time I'd think of something new, I'd be like, "Okay, okay, I think I'm okay with this acceptance." And I'd be like, "Doggy style." Oh my god. <laughs> You know, like, like any little thought until finally I had to take it to like the most ridiculous place and like accept that maybe she was tied up in a fucking dungeon and this is crazy shit. And I was like, okay, there's nothing worse I can possibly think that happened. Probably wasn't that. And that was, that was the start of this very long journey of introspection about the need for self-validation through other people, the need of feeling worthy through another person's affection. And it's been a really interesting, challenging, but ultimately illuminating experience, really learning about ourselves and also having the just raw freedom and absolute truth between us. Like there's literally nothing that we hold back from each other, nothing. Like everything is out in the open. All of our phones are fucking face up and we know the passwords. Like that's not usual in relationships because there's nothing we have to withhold. Now, we've done the wrong shit and we've been dishonest, but dishonesty when you're permitted everything is straight up betrayal. It's fucked up. Because if you're allowed to do everything and you're being dishonest, like it's a fucking motivation. Like you have to, it forces this radical honesty which is also pretty rad. I mean, a lot of people say like, oh, I'm, I'm with my best friend, except they're lying to their best friend like kind of all the time. And in this case, you know, we really actually get to be radically honest with each other, but it's, you know, you go through hell. This is the hero's journey. You go through the, go through the darkness and fight the dragon over and over and over again. And then um, you get a little piece of the gold when you're done. And that's really what we found, a really passionate, truthful, capital L loving relationship and uh, it's been a real, real blessing. But I'll tell you, it's not fucking easy. <laughs> not fucking easy. All right, let's give Aubrey a round of applause. Yeah. Thanks, everybody.
Um, and just so anybody, let me give you guys a couple things, ways to interact with me. Um, I host like mastermind weekends, like a couple times a year where we all get together and go through some of these practices, experiential practices, breath work, ecstatic dance. So if you follow me on social or anything, you'll see that. And then I'm starting my first continuous mastermind coming up called the Fit for Service Mastermind, where we're really gonna work with people throughout the year. So um, if you're interested in that, just keep in touch and uh, I'll let, let everybody know when that all opens up. So awesome. thanks everybody. Yes. Yeah. Session or something yeah, sure. like an hour, or hour. Yeah, half an hour. Okay, cool. All right, so we're gonna auction off a half-hour call with Aubrey. So, what would someone normally pay for a coaching it's, call? For it's you? not available, so <laughs> it's priceless. <laughs> Chances are you won't be given the call for your wife. Yeah. I'm all right with the open relationship concept until I imagine my wife standing anywhere near me. <laughs> no fucking way. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So uh, who'd, put a, who'd put 500 bucks to one life to spend a half hour on the phone with Aubrey? Let's see your paddle up. We got Pete here. Tim's in on his own bid. Jake in at 500. How about 750? Who's in 750? Half hour, we got three of you guys. $1,000, who's in at 1,000? Pete Cook, Jake, you wanna do a couple half hours? Let's do 3, it. 1,000? Let's do it. Oh, so we got David, these three. So we got Pete, David, Jake, we just raised $3,000 for One Life. Give Aubrey a round of applause. Thanks everybody for tuning into this. I really appreciate it. And there's a couple things I want to point you guys to. One of them is if that question and answer about open relationship was interesting, make sure you go to my site, aubreymarcus.com, and look for the open relationship field guide, which is a lot of information that takes this a little bit further and might help answer some of the questions that you might have. A lot of resources on open relationship on aubreymarcus.com. And then, of course, as I mentioned at the start, Fit for Service Mastermind is up and available, aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. Check that out. See if it's interesting. See if you want to apply. See if you know anybody else who wants to apply. Um, really appreciate that. And if you're interested in the Aubrey Marcus weekend, go to aubreymarcus.com slash weekend. And of course, you know, share the work. Anything that you see, anything that we've produced, anything that has been helpful to you, surely will be helpful to somebody else. So I deeply appreciate everybody who tags somebody else or brings somebody else into the fold. Um, you know, that's how this movement grows. And I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. It isn't always easy for me. You know, I'll tell that to you now. I'll be 100% honest and, and say that, yeah, sometimes I'm tired and sometimes I just want to hide and, and go to sleep and not do these podcasts and not do anything. Um, but appreciate the work that we're able to put together. It, it gives me motivation, it gives me fuel to keep going. So I really owe a lot to all of you. And uh, this isn't going to stop, not anytime soon. So, so much love, and I'll see you next week.